Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 10 of the Corona Diaries. Um, and it's a normal, a norm, what's become a normal recording for us, so we're looking at each other on screen. Morning H, how are you? Um, good morning Anthony, number 10 eh? Good number God. 10. I know. I know. Good God, good God. I know, I am, uh, we should have a little celebration. <laughs> it's such a long way to the fridge from here. I'm, I'm, I'm up on the top floor. Otherwise we could, we could, we could pop a bottle and I've got to drive to the racket club in a bit, so I'd better not get sloshed just yet. And it is only 10.36 in the morning in, in here, in the real that's oh, not God's very time. rock star, is it? Throwing the, that number of barriers in the way to a cheeky drink at half ten in the morning. No, well, if I was a proper rock star, I'd, I'd have some kind of fridge up here next to me, wouldn't I, for emergencies? Emergency fridge. Um, I don't know. Is it glamorous to still be in it, still be drinking too much when you're sixty-four? You know, do you end up like Lemmy, a bit sad and buggered? You know, I've often thought that you know. B- being kind of monstrously sexually promiscuous, <laughs> I don't mean that I am, I'm, let me get to the end of this sentence, being monstrously sexually promiscuous or a raging drug, drug addict or even a really rampant, you know, um, outspoken homosexual, I'm thinking about Boy George a bit here, it's all very, very cool and cutting edge when you're like 26, but when you hear 60-year-old blokes talking like that, you kind of go, oh, leave it out, mate. So um, how have I got onto that? As it was just about, you know, drinking at 10.37 in the morning, I suppose. is is cool when you're in the baby shambles, if it is ever cool, you know. But when you're 64, Jesus, it's just a bit sad, isn't it? Anyway, I'm off to the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got I've just got back. I tuned you out completely. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the biggest problem for me is not is not drinking at ten thirty six in the morning. It's then being awake at one o'clock in the afternoon. Um, yes, because because yes. I just couldn't do it. I'd, I'd be uh, I'd be snoozing. No, I used to drink in the mornings when when we were um, at Heathrow Airport because you could convince yourself you're in another part of the world you know especially if you were going to another part of the world where it was already five in the evening you know you could be in Heathrow at 10 a.m and go oh well where we're going you know the cocktail flag's already up let's have a soda but which is a a strange kind of thing because it's always cocktail flags are always up somewhere in the world isn't it you don't have to be in airport for that up right now in Tokyo. Yeah, definitely. The, the bit, the problem I've always had with that is, if you sit, see, I think the French do it quite well. So the French might might have a you know a glass of brandy with breakfast. 
Yeah. And, and, and to a certain yeah. extent, I think there's something bit you know, joie de vivre about that's quite nice. But it's when you see people at an airport with a full English and a pint of Guinness at half past five, that's where I struggle with it. Yeah. That's just well, half past five in the morning. In the morning. Yeah, you you walk in yeah. through to catch the to catch the early flight and there's people there that are just about they're about to get on a plane for an hour and a half. So the time difference is an hour where they go in and they've got a full cooked <laughs> and a pint of Guinness. The problem is that those yeah. people tend to get to where they're going, which is invariably Spain, and have a full cooked and a pint of Guinness at the same time in Spain. So I suppose it's When they get there, yeah. Bloody hell. No, I'm not one of those people. No. Um I couldn't be because I'd be twenty five stone as well, you know. If, if I consumed on those kind of levels. Mm. I live on dust, honestly. Mm. I hardly ever eat anything. I've In all the time I've known you, I've never seen you eat. <laughs> I've never actually seen you eat. I've seen you drink coffee. I've seen you drink bags. Never seen they you just, eat. They just put me on a drip mm. day one of the tour, you know. Just, just stick, can you attach your saline to Mr H's bunk, please, for later? Um no, I do, I do eat, but I don't really eat much when I'm touring at, at all, you know. In fact, you know, I have to be slightly more careful than I used to be because my guts used to revolt after a while. They, they used to, they used to, I used to end up having to go and see doctors with me, you know, with my digestive system because it didn't have anything to digest apart from Beck's beer. Um... And apparently it just doesn't agree with you long term, right. especially if you throw a lot of tequila and <laughs> Red Bull on, on top of it. <laughs> and begin the day with an Irish coffee. Yeah. And then have a digestive biscuit and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> McVitie's, they've got a lot to answer for, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, that's rubbish. They're no good for your digestion at all. Oh, they are if you put dark chocolate on them. Oh, okay, right. But <laughs> I'm not allowed that. Right, so um, we haven't even started yet, and we've done five minutes. Where were we? I yeah, we know. were just going to talk about... What, how did we get on to me not eating? Uh, because we, it's episode 10, and we were going to have a, we were gonna have a little celebration. And it Why all aren't I sixth in? From, I don't know. It's so unfair. But I'm not either, and I don't eat a ridiculous amount. It's just not mm. right. And I, and I know so many people who absolutely gorge out and are stick thin. But then again, then again... There's a thing, isn't there, about um, about people who look who are very thin, but mm. it masks the fact that what do they call them? Skinny fats, they call them. So they look no. they look thin, and so you assume that they're healthy, but they have the same issues with you know fat around the arteries and this, that, and the other, and then they just keel over and die. Okay, um, right. Whereas oh. actually, if you are a little a slightly you know slightly bigger and you show signs of carrying a little bit of weight, then 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 actually that's that's apparently it's better for you than if you than if it's not visible. Of course, that's not worked in the case of Keith Richards, has it? Or or Mick Jagger? Well, I don't know because I mean he's, I mean he's not a picture of health, is he? But but he's alive. Mm. Well, I don't know. I what's mean, Mick's is fit as a flea. I don't think Keith is. I don't think no. Keith really bothers or if he does he he does it on the quiet i mean there's so much about the stones that is image mm. you know the old bottles of jack daniels with tea in them and all of that you know i think there is i think it's a lot of it is image although there's no denying keith was on smack for most of his life because it's just about all he ever talks about in his book have you read that book life i've i've read that book read. 
I've read that book, which which um, it, to be me, the best book I've read on Keith is a book that uh, was written by Victor Bocris. He wrote a, a biography of him in the in the mid to late eighties, and that was right. brilliant. Really, really well, oh, really well out. written. That's probably the best book I've ever read on the Stones, actually. Um, but yeah, no, I've read Keith's book, and yeah, it, it is all he actually really bangs on about. Um, it, yeah, his life was entirely it revolved around heroin you know and where he was going to get the next hit from and how and where he would have to go to get it or take it and then and then getting busted and the court cases that followed and uh, uh, you know the difficulty he had and where he had to then go and live to avoid being put away <laughs> it's just a full-time job you know well there's a list of countries that wouldn't let him in wasn't there and 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 that whole apocryphal story about he used to go to was it Switzerland he used to go to to have his to have a complete blood transfusion. Yeah, and, I don't think that's in his book. Right. So I don't know if that's true, true or not. It's just something the Daily Mirror made up, like Marianne Faithfull's Mars Bar. I don't think yes. there was ever anything in there. It was just no. a bit of nasty journalism, and she's never got you know she's never got past it, has she? I mean, no. it's always question one, even now when people. People talk to her, the journalists talk to her. They want to talk about the Mars bar. It must be awful if that is the first thing. Imagine, imagine if every just... time anybody meets you, they say what it's like. What's it like being the new singer of Marillion? Yeah, well, it's they good. do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. Oh. I probably say, I probably say, I probably panic and go, "Fuck me, is there one?" <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm expecting a phone call. You, you must, you must excuse me. Well, I just, I just heard a ping. Is that, is that WhatsApp coming in for you? Yes, it, it's from Rotheries. Says we're phasing a new one in. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, okay. Well, good luck to the new singer in Marillion. Um, uh, maybe, uh, maybe that you know, lucky third for them. Um, uh, I've got to point out before we get much further that. Um, uh, Matt Doy, who has oh, yeah. who has a thing on Facebook called the Musings of Matt Doy, which are actually quite worth a read, and oh, Sars Golding Keen, as she is on Facebook, but I think it's Sarah Sars. or Sarah. <laughs> Sars uh, Covid Keen, yeah, Sars Covid Golding Keen, Golding Keen, sorry, Golding Keen, Golding Keen. I bet I bet you had to widen your column for her as well, didn't you? Uh, hey, um, <laughs> they've both asked if there could be a health warning on the podcast. Oh, because I don't know if you remember, but I don't know if it was last week or the week before. I happened to mention that the batteries had gone down in my electric toothbrush. Yes. No, I I have been meaning to ask how Uh, you're feeling. Yes. No, it's it's fine. It's fine. You're all right now. We're we're back to automation. Um, But and and I happened to say uh, and so I had to finish myself off by hand. And and Matt Doy apparently spat yoghurt all over his kitchen. Uh, Did he? And and oh. Sars, Sars or Sarah, <laughs> nearly chopped a finger off because she was chopping oh. vegetables. Blimey. At the time. So, she won't be able to finish herself off by hand, will she, after that? No, no. She'll no. have to leave it for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yes. Um, so, or, f- or phase another finger in. Or phase another finger in. It's <laughs> <laughs> tricky. It's tricky, I tell you, because yeah. I spent a long time on my... Right arm in plaster at one point after the old mad incident on the boat. On the boat. And I had to learn a whole new bunch of skills. Yes. <laughs> How's that working out for you? <laughs> I'm a bit more ambidextrous than I used to be. Right. right. 
Uh, well, that's that's good. Normally, that kind of stuff goes you, with you, age. But, you know, if you um, get tired, you can swap halfway through. <laughs> so, so we need some form of health warning. Um, mm. I don't know if you mm. remember back in the whatever it, it was probably the eighties where Channel Four had that experiment with a little was it a little triangle they put in the corner of the screen when there was going to be something mm. offensive um, or of a sexual nature was going to come up they put up a little, a little warning in the top corner of the screen. Uh, which had the effect time of to... meaning that we all tuned in when we thought the red triangle was coming on. Um, maybe we need to do something like that on the podcast if it's going to get a little mm. bit, you know. I don't know how you do that with audio. No, neither do I. You just have something that starts going in the background or something. Yeah. Uh, little... <laughs> we, need a, we need a klaxon. It's a little bell I can ring. I don't think I've got one. <laughs> little bell I can ring. <laughs> oh... <laughs> We have no bell. There is no. There is. That's going to get no. us onto bell, and then end of bell, and we'll leave I'll, that. I'll get. I'll get one for episode eleven. Right. I'll have a little tinkly. We'll, we'll have a little tink- tinkly bell. For, you've got a little tinkly bell. I've seen you use it on stage. An unsavoury warning. Oh no, I'm. I'm sure I've got thousands of them. Just not to hand. Not to hand. Okay. Um, happy birthday to Josephine Elliott. It's Josephine Elliott's birthday today. Uh, so oh. we are recording on not, the day. Obviously, by the time she hears, hang it, on, hang is... on. I've got to crowbar this in. Not tonight, then. <laughs> Carry on. Yes, nicely done. <laughs> uh, that would have needed a little bell if we'd got one. Um, Never heard that before, have you, Josephine? <laughs> you nearly got yeah. your own little tinkle there, Josephine. <laughs> um, anyway, happy birthday, Josephine. Even though obviously you won't be hearing this on your birthday, we are recording uh, on your birthday. So, so, uh, and, and of course, anyway, you'll have your card from H. So that's all. That's all fine. Um, and yes, um, Dave Colopy or Colopy? C O L L O P Y. Don't know. Don't know. From the northwest. Yeah. I don't know if that's a northwestern name, but anyway, um, it rhymes with jalopy, doesn't it? Yes. Or, does it, or is that jalopy? A jalopy or jalopy? Jalopy. Jalopy. I don't know how you spell jalopy. I don't know how you spell jalopy. So that was an irrelevant observation. Uh, it's it looks a bit more like scallop with a y on. Scallopy. Scallopy. So then he'd be Colopy. Colopy. Do write in with yes. the, with a diagram. Let yes. us know, Dave. I've now got I've now got colopy and scallopy as the first two lines of a limerick. Don't know where it finishes yeah. though. Um. So, Dave, anyway, did ask a very serious question. Do you get any guitar tips from either Rothers or Pete? Yes. Yes, not nearly enough. Um, <laughs> I, I... <laughs> <laughs> Heard it mentioned. That's probably, probably the shortest short answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I very rarely ask them, you know, how, how do you do that? Or how should I do this? Uh, because I, I don't know. Being a singer, I'm too much of an egoist to admit I don't know everything. Um, perhaps. I don't know. I mean, what little what little guitar um, knowledge I possess has come from Rothers. Um 
and it's just you know so he showed me this is a d and this is how you do do this and this is a this is an open g and and there's a bit in king at the end that goes kind of up the neck and uh, at risk of boring the non-guitarists uh and i play the kind of open and fifth e position up the neck uh, across the end of king and he showed me how to do that so everything that i do um I do kind of reluctantly, if I'm honest, because I'm not a guitarist. Um, and Steve just said, you know, it'd be really handy if you could play some power chords live. And that's how come I first picked a guitar up. Um, I think the first time I played guitar, I could be wrong about this, but I think the first time I played guitar was on the Brave Tour during hard as love because uh it really needed two guitars it needed it needed some power chords on you make, it makes you hungry it makes you high and all of that and he said why don't you do it and i said i can't play the guitar steve and he said oh it's easy you just do this and um he showed me the the shapes um and sometimes pete shows me what to do with a capo um you know like like if if there's, <laughs> yeah, sometimes he wished he'd show me what to do with the capo, but uh, sometimes he actually does. And um, so, you know, if there's some mad chord, like an, an A flat minor something or other, he'll show me where I should stick a capo and which chord shape I should play instead to get it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they do, they do give me tips, but if I had a greater thirst to be a good guitarist i'm sure they'd give me more tips because i would ask but i don't really because i'm i don't know perhaps i'm just lazy um or i perhaps i just a bit like because maybe because i taught myself to play the piano and never had any lessons i've got this underlying feeling that if if i just carry on working it out myself i might end up being able to, you know, with an approach that other people might not have. <laughs> now I was going to ask I'm... a serious question because I is it? Do you like the look of a frontman with a guitar? Because I always um, think that you wear the guitar well as a, and I don't want to say prop, but you know what I mean. That it. Yeah, I, I think that if you're if you're shit at playing the guitar, the least you can do is make it look good. And so I've I've kind of I've moved forward with with that ethos really over the years. Um, a you might as well have a really cool looking guitar, and B you might as well make it look good. You know, hang it on a good strap at at, at a at a at a suitably cool height, i.e. as close to your knees as possible. And um, you know, don't worry too much about how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, so does Phil ever turn you down then? I bet, does I, Phil ever? I, I bet you don't know, do you? No, I've no idea. We just have to trust him. Although I do, I do remember one night uh, uh, being at this thing that had been organised by a, uh, what's that loudspeaker company called? Oh my god, I've got such a lousy memory. There's a loudspeaker company that make um, that will come to me after the podcast's finished, like everything else does. Um, and they were they're a nice bunch of people, and they they were doing this gig, um, 
in London to promote their speakers. You'll know, being in that world, what are they called? Well, you'd start with JBL as the first one. Studio monitors. No, not them. English um, handmade sort of. Ooh. What do they use? Uh, anyway, not to worry. So it's not D&B um, because they're not English. Um, who else are the big ones? But it is letters, you know, like DEA or Shubidoo. Anyway, they had a gig and uh, Rothers was on stage playing um, with this with this band of other guitarists and whatnot. Um, and I I got up and did a couple of songs and then and then I I got back down and I was at the back of the room with Phil and Phil Phil just said watch this and he went over to the guitar to his guitar channel and he pressed the mute buttons and nothing changed <laughs> at all he said that's how loud the guitar is <laughs> and he muted it out and it was still the loudest thing you could hear um and then he just looked at me as if to say, <laughs> you see, I do earn my money. Um, so, yeah, so, I, but I I don't think I'm as loud, I'm nearly that loud on stage. Um, you know, he makes me turn it down. So he's got, so he's got control over it and he can, he can have it as loud as he wants rather than not have any choice. And I certainly wouldn't want him to have you know to not be able to turn me down having heard what i do (laughs) (laughs) and 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 dave's second part of his question was he's rather taken by the les paul that is seen and and before we went on air you you swiveled your camera around and we had a look at this les paul and it is a thing of beauty uh but it's quite unusual uh being a a a hollow-bodied les paul which is not not the norm. Um, so, mm. and obviously, I remember the Telecaster, the Paisley Telly, and and obviously mm. you use Rickenbackers as well. All very very nice. So you clearly like guitars, as in a thing, as in. I do. Yeah, I much prefer them to keyboards or pianos or anything. Even though I'm really a piano player, as an object of beauty, you know, and a, a thing of itself, um, I much prefer guitars and i've got quite a lot of guitars purely out of lust really rather than because i thought i could do anything with them um i got a bee in my bonnet years ago about a powder blue uh rickenbacker and uh i knew they'd done one i knew they'd made made them in powder blue only i think it was one specific year 2014 or something they had a color of the year and it was powder blue and uh, it was called the blue boy after uh, jim reeves who used to play uh, um, a rickenbacker in that color i think way back in the 50s and i scoured the earth for one and i eventually found one bought found one on ebay and bloke in germany and in bavaria was selling it and I bought and 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 I bought it, and that's the one I use uh, a lot, um, and ha- have used a lot. Um, that's a three. Is it a three thirty? I'm not very good with the numbers. Three thirties or three sixties, aren't they? Rickenbackers. It's, so it's one it's of a the three sixty. Uh, it, it's probably a th- six string, isn't it? Yeah, it's probably a thirty. I think then. it's just, well, I don't know, but it, it's it's. I mean, I do know, but then I forget. Um, 
but we could look it up. I've got pictures of it. Um, that's a very that's a very cool guitar, and it, it sounds great on stage uh, to my ear. Um, the Les Paul was uh, was a Christmas present from me to me about um, three or four years back. Phil and I, I was doing an H Natural tour um, around Europe. And when I do H Natural tours, it's just me and Phil Brown, and we were coming back on the on the plane, British Airways from wherever we'd been, I think Germany or somewhere, and in the middle of the British Airways in flight magazine, there was a, a th- an item called Objects of Desire for Christmas, and and right across this double page spread was that guitar, that sort of green and gold um, with the F holes. Gibson Les Paul Supreme and me and Phil just looked at it and went oh look at that oh my god that's a cool guitar that's a cool that's a you know right right that's a cool guitar agent oh yeah that is a cool guitar oh my lord he said you should buy that he said a person like you should have a guitar like that and I said how much is it it was about 4,000 quid I'm going I can't really justify buying a 4,000 quid guitar I'm a shit guitarist Phil he said that's not the point I went oh yeah probably and anyway bit by bit I, I convinced myself that that he was right <laughs> and I should have it <laughs> and so I bought it for Christmas <laughs> and didn't play it for ages you know didn't play it I mean, I couldn't face the idea of taking it on tour or, or you know, taking it out live where somebody might scratch it. Yeah. I.e. I.e. me, <laughs> I would be that simple. Or just leave it somewhere. <laughs> or leave it somewhere exactly. Um, and so I never, I never played it for ages. And then we we got a gig. Uh, we had a gig at the O2, opening for uh, who were we? Who were we on with? I was Rick Rick Waitman was doing this mad thing with an orchestra and God knows what and and we were on the uh, we were on the bill and um, I found a I can't remember which song it might have been Sky Above the Rain actually uh, found a song that it would it it would be it would be good on I'm, I'm I said Phil tonight I'm going to play the Les Paul being as we're at the O2 and he's going marvelous I look forward to that Steve and. Um, Steve Hackett was on before us, and and he did one song too many, and he ran over on his on his set, and we had to cut a song, and it was the song that had the Les Paul on, so I never got to do it. Um, so there we are. So I was denied by Steve Hackett a chance of play, which is ironic, really, being as Steve Hackett's a guitarist, um, a chance to play it. But but then I did play it on at the, on the end of. Sky above, I think on on the last tour. Are you bored yet? God, I'm bored. Just tell no, me. No, no. See, see, I'm a see. I I play guitar. So You're I'm a bit not bored guitar geeky. At all, but um, but I could see no, how if you're non guitarist, maybe. It always looks good on. It yeah. is one hell of a cool guitar by mm. by anybody's standards. Do you wander around the um, village in it? <laughs> no. All right. Okay. No, don't be silly. <laughs> I very rarely even put my jeans on around the village, let, let alone wander around with a guitar. I've got visions put, of, of you wandering around with a guitar on as the guy with the pig comes towards you. <laughs> no. no, that's not how it worked out. Right, okay. But Fine. I started with that red Strat. I started with that red Stratocaster um, on uh, Hard as Love 
and on the Brave Tour. I do remember that. And that that red strat used to belong to Duran Duran. Did it? Yeah. That's a little, well, all of them. A little item of trivia. <laughs> did they did they all have it? <laughs> no, one of the Andy Taylor was it? I think Andy it Taylor. Andy yeah. Taylor had it, and um, it had Duran Duran stickers on the uh, on the case. Probably still does, for all I know. Haven't seen it for a while. They end up in the loft at the racket right. club. Sometimes you don't see them for years. How many, how many have you got? I don't know. I honestly have no idea. More than I, I, if I was to think about it and tell you, I'd probably be out by about five. Um, I've got a pink Les Paul. Um, yes, I've seen that. The, the Katy Perry. Um, I've got a, a few acoustic. I've got oh, I've got the lovely electroacoustic Fender Telecaster. The sort of sunburst oh, yes. one. Yeah, they're great. That's, they the are. Gu- that's the guitar everybody wants off me. Um, you know, Pete occasionally sidles up and says, you wouldn't ever sell that, would you? I go, no, I wouldn't. Uh, you're right. And I, I bought that guitar when I started hanging up in a music shop window in Strasbourg, in in France. And I got it for, I think it was 170 quid. First, ah! first time fabulous. round, they couldn't give them away. Couldn't give them yeah. away first time round. They really go. So that, and that always sounds lovely through the PA, you just DI de- it. Mm. For uh, non guitarists, that means you don't stick it through an amplifier. Yeah, put it straight in. Mm. And for real non guitarists, you don't just put a mains plug on them and plug them in the wall. That's <laughs> potentially life threatening. Um, so, yeah, that's the, I've got all sorts. I've got a big thing <laughs> Dave Gregory calls the, bo- the bog seat because it's finished in a sort of pearlescent that they used to do toilet seats in. Looks like a bog seat, that, Steve, he said. First time. That's, uh, what was that called? It's not a Gretsch, is it? Italia. Oh, right, it's okay. an Italia. Um, that's, that was kind of pink pearlescent. Uh, it did look a bit like a toilet seat, to be fair. And then what else have I got? Yeah, I've got the uh, that beautiful Tom Petty 12, 12 mm. string Ricky mm. as well that I bought in uh, San Jose years ago. On pro- that might have been the holidays in Eden or the or the, the Afraid of Sunlight tour. And I just sort hanging on a wall in in San Jose in a guitar shop. And I said, "My God, look at that." And I bought it, and I thought, because it was a Rickenbacker 12-string, that as soon as I plugged it in through an amp and played it, it'd go down, that sort of pretender sound, not realising that you did actually have to learn to play the guitar before you could make (laughs) sounds like that. And so (laughs) when I first tried it, it just made this horrible, horrible sound. And I thought, oh, that's not right, is it? Not what I paid for. So uh, then, then we did the H tour, and uh, <laughs> and I gave it to Dave Gregory and I said, "Can you get anything out of that?" And he he, he put it around his neck and he just went bound and all down, all down. I said, "That's it. That's the sound. How come you can do it and I can't, Dave?" And he just looked at me as if to say, "Yeah, there's probably a reason." Um. So there you are. But if if you if you know. If you give it to the guitar player from XTC, it's probably going to sound all yeah. right. Yeah, and it did. So then I said at the end, and so he played it on the he, he played it a lot on the on the H band tour, 
and at the end of the tour, I I said, you better have that, Dave. Oh, I can't have that, he said. I said, well, just have it on permanent loan. It just seems like there's something wrong in the world when I own a guitar like that and you don't. It's just not right, so have it. So then he had it for about, I don't know, 20 years. And then I asked him if I could borrow it. And he said, well, it's yours. I said, well, well, I know, but any chance? And so he, he let me have it back, and I, I've, I've been playing that a bit as well. And uh, I played it in the levers on that big moment in the levers. So I've got loads of guitars. I've, I've got a lot more that I can't even think, think of or where they are or what they are. Well, like, do you know what? We weren't going to talk about that today, and that's kind of come from Dave's question, and it means that we'll have to put off to next week what we were going to talk about today. But that's a real, uh, that's a really great little little sort of memory that, and and an insight really, because um, I've always yeah. been intrigued by you and guitars and the number of them. In fact, the sheer quantity of different ones has been the most <laughs> mostly what I've been intrigued by. So, um, so yes, that's that's really nice, and it 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 brings us. Well, it's kind Brings it brings us to diary, I suppose, for this week. Um, mm. And we're we're twenty third of October is when we're going to be starting, which is, as you'll hear, is a is a fairly big day in the Hogarth household, isn't it? Yes, it's the it's the day my son was born, uh, Niall, twenty third of October, um, and it it wasn't a straightforward birth um, by any. And it, well, it was perfectly straightforward, and he, he was kind of more or less full term on his due date and everything. And then at the very, very last minute of the labour, um, something something changed, and all all the people started seemed to seem to panic. Um, and I couldn't even tell there was anything wrong, but I, I just saw the room fill up with people. I thought, oh God, something's not right here. And they couldn't get him breathing. Um, he was born really quickly, sort of at the last minute. You know, the labour was just normal. And then at the last minute, there was a kind of, some kind of alarm was injected into it somehow. And he was born very quickly. And then he didn't breathe. Um, and he didn't breathe for seven minutes. And so the room was all full of people getting him going. And they got him going. Um, and then they whisked him away as well. As soon as, as soon as they got him going, they whisked him away. And was, me and Dizzy Spell were, were in were in the room trying to work out what had gone on. Um, and they took us into um, they 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 sort of cleaned cleaned Dizzy up and everything and. And then said we needed to have a chat, and um, they they said, well, look, he, he he he's breathing, but he didn't breathe for seven minutes, and there's there's a very good chance he'll be brain damaged. So uh, I felt all my insides turn to liquid uh, in that moment, and um, you know, you ask all the usual questions. Well, when will you know for sure? And they say, well, possibly not for years. And you think, what? You know, but uh, we we won't. We'll have to evaluate him. You know, as he as he develops. And you think, oh my god. And so they put him in the special care baby unit, 
in a little um, incubator thing to keep an eye on him. And I, on Sue stayed in hospital, and I, I went home to Englefield Green, where her mother was. Her, her mum had come over from South Africa to to be around for the the first few days of the of uh, of the new baby. And I didn't really get on with her. I'd never really got on with her. Um, you know, we got on, but we didn't really. I could tell there wasn't a lot of mutual respect. And so it was very strange to go back, totally grief-stricken, um, to somebody who you weren't really close to, you know. I'd, I'd much rather have been on my own in a way. Um, and um, anyway, the days passed. I think it felt like a long time. It probably was only a couple of days or two or three days, but there were sleepless nights and everything. And then... I went to see him in the special care baby unit one one sort of tea time. Sue was still on the ward. And the, uh, as I say in the book, the, 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 there was a paediatrician there who I'm ashamed to say I can't remember her name. I think she was called Atkins. Um, and she was holding him and she said, well, I said, how, how is he? And she said, well, don't quote me on it. She said, but between you and me, I've seen a lot of babies in my time. I don't think there's anything wrong with him. You know, and even now, that that does me in a bit. And um, what is it now? He's he's nearly 30. So uh, he's fine, you know, he's absolutely fine. He's a bit of a dreamboat. But then I'm a bit of a dreamboat. So... Yeah, we are very proud of him, and it was all all right in the end. But it was it was a really difficult time, and uh, God knows how I went back on tour so soon after that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, I think I was just young and a bit thoughtless. You know, I used to just breeze through life, even after a trauma like that. I would get in a car to go back on tour and wonder why the missus was crying. You know, of course she was crying. What on earth was I thinking? No wonder we ended up divorced. I was just so thoughtless a lot of the time. So wound, you know, so uh, taken up with my work and this... this um, it's not work, is it? If you're a musician, if you're in a band, it's like a mission. It's like a, it's like a life plan, and you know, the kind of people who get anywhere are the are the people for whom it's all consuming and nothing will stop them. And I, I guess I must be one of them. Maybe I've mellowed lately, but uh, God knows how I how I could have just got in a car and gone back on tour, but I did and just sort of cracked on um i mean it was also a slightly different time um you know we you, i suppose you're looking at it a little bit through the prism of of 30 years down the the line and mm. you know and times were different and and you know even um how fathers are and how um fatherhood has changed in all of that 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 period as well uh and and we were far more in the 
kind of guys of, you know, you got back to work and that's what you did. You were a provider and what have you. So there's been a little bit of, of that behind it as well, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I think I was just selfish. You know, maybe I'm still selfish, but I'd, I'd like to feel I'm less selfish than that. I mean, uh, I was so selfish that it didn't even cross my mind. You know, it's one thing to be, to think to, think to yourself, oh, I'm being a bit selfish having this last piece of cake. But, you know, it's another thing to have it and not even, not even cross your mind. Not bat an eyelid. But, that, that so, yeah, I was just, I was just younger and and uh, I did a lot of things when I was young that I wouldn't do now because I think hang on a minute, you know. But I just used to breeze through everything. So so that was that. That was Niall. Oh my God, he was never a straightforward human being. He still isn't. You know, as much as I love him, he's. <laughs> <laughs> he's a lovely lovely human being I'm very proud of him mm. well we'll we'll go through that section and you'll hear you'll hear that diary section next and um we've we've kind of probably talked a little bit about the, the response to the section before we've actually read it but we'll we'll play that we'll play that next um and then we'll come back for a, a final couple of minutes before we wrap up yeah i'll try and read it without blubbing okay Blub away. You want to blub, blub away. (laughs) Wednesday, 23rd of October. Home, Chertsey Hospital. Was woken at 4.30am. Sue thinks she's going to have the baby. Drove to St Peter's Hospital, Chertsey, and checked her into the labour ward. Spent the next six or seven hours waiting and dozing in a chair, while poor Dizzy underwent the rigours of the early stages of labour. By around eleven in the morning, she is too far down the line to go home, but her contractions have nearly stopped. Wendy, the midwife, decides to induce her, but to first break her waters. I go with Diz to a shower after this, While we're in the shower, she starts having painful contractions, so we have to hurry back to the labour room. Everything goes okay for a while, but then the contractions cease again, and they decide to connect a drip to keep things going. At the advanced stage of labour, the baby's heart rate drops, and I sense the staff becoming nervous. The baby is born 10 or 15 minutes later. Well done, Diz but they can't get him breathing. People start appearing and my nerves are shredded. Dizzy hasn't really noticed that there's a problem. They pump him with oxygen and eventually take him from the labour ward to special care baby unit. When Dizzy is able to move, she's wheelchaired down with me to an office where a doctor ushers us in. He tells us that the baby didn't breathe for seven minutes after birth and that there's a possibility that this would cause brain damage. Unfortunately, there's no way of knowing at this stage. I feel my insides turn to water. I've never known distress like it. Diz and I stare into space. I ask the doctor how soon we'll know for sure and he says it might take several months before we can be certain. 
When we get out of there, I try to hug Dizzy, but it's difficult. She's physically beaten up and wheelchair bound. She's also in a state of post-labour exhaustion, and I don't think she's really quite with it. I'm not sure she's registering the gravity of what we've just been told. We go back to a ward, and the nurses make her comfortable. I go home and have to tell her mum. I've never been particularly close to Sue's mum, so it's particularly painful to cry in front of her, but I can't help myself. P.S. I wrote this in, in 2014. I never wrote down any more for a week or so. I wasn't in a frame of mind to do it. It was an awful few days going back and forth to the hospital and to see our little newborn Niall in the SCBU covered in tubes and monitors and wonder how his life was going to unfold. On the third or fourth day, I arrived in SCBU alone to find the chief paediatrician holding him in her arms. This was the first time I'd seen him outside of the incubator. I asked how he was doing, and she said one of the most wonderful things I've ever heard. Don't quote me on it, but between you and me, I don't think there's anything wrong with this baby. I almost fainted with gratitude. We still couldn't be certain, but this was an enormous, albeit guarded, relief. I felt like proposing to her on the spot. As it turns out, at the time of publication, Niall is 22 years old. Actually, while I'm reading this, he's nearer 30. And apart from a certain inherited mild eccentricity, his brain works perfectly and he's a fine young man. You might have seen him helping me out on stage when he's been known to look after my backline radio midi cricket bat and pass me the occasional guitar and bottle of Beck's. He has a great sense of rhythm and is currently very serious about his drumming. Happy ending. <laughs> Saturday, 2nd of November. Home, Lisbon, Pavilion, Charles Lopez. So how long was this? This was just over a week, maybe nine days after all that. Up at eight, and a tearful goodbye from Dizzy. Fifi takes it a lot better, and I climb into a cab at nine o'clock to Heathrow. On the plane, Mark's listening to a live tape of Cry No More, which is plainly very funny. Roy seems to be on form. During the flight, Ian passes me a press cutting from the Daily Express, which congratulates me on the birth of a bouncing baby boy, Niall. Wobbling would have been nearer the truth. The hotel in Lisbon is opposite some vast new building still under construction, which I later discover to be a bank. It must be the biggest bank on God's earth. It looks more like a university. We all have a walkabout and coffee. The sound check is painless, the hall is cavernous, but the sound out front seems good to me. The venue is a 200-year-old convent and is ornately decorated with columns, statues and, of course, tiles. This is Portugal. They like a tile. It looks more like an old bathhouse or brothel than a rock venue. The record company takes us out for an omelette, which takes ages to arrive, and back at the venue the crowd are in and it looks like a bullfight. It's like a scaled-down Wembley arena with side-seating terraced upwards. The show 
is terrific. The crowd warm and enthusiastic. Considering the band haven't been here for six years and that it's my first time, the reaction from the crowd is mind-boggling. I enjoy the show more than I can remember in quite a while, maybe since Paris Zenith, despite becoming hoarse halfway through. Sunday, 3rd of November, Porto Coliseum. Rose at 9.30. Discovered I'd left my toilet bag in the bar last night. Eventually traced it to Dee's room. One day in and I've already lost something. Had breakfast with Pete on the ninth floor overlooking Lisbon, which from our vantage point looks like it's been thrown there. Unfinished yet inhabited grey concrete mishmash architecture, or lack of it, interspersed with big money skyscrapers. Rather like Sao Paulo actually. Same language, similar culture. Checked out of the hotel to discover my phone bill was about a fiver. Nice surprise, as Steve R says it's the most expensive country in the world to phone from. I wonder where he was staying when he came to that conclusion. Flew to Porto, which is further north, greyer and rainier than Lisbon. The venue is a large theatre. It's been raining on the drum kit, but the really bad news is low ticket sales. After sound check, I'm taken to a little restaurant round the corner. Washing is hanging to dry everywhere, and the room we eat in looks like a Mexican chapel. Steak and eggs. By showtime, there's only 500 people in, but that relaxes us and we have a great show. My voice is in top form, and I can't remember singing Dryland better. I narrowly avoid disaster when I throw the mic stand up, and it goes backwards and nearly takes out the T1. That's my keyboard piano thing. After the show, I shower on the third floor. Hot and hot running water. No cold. That's a first. Back at the hotel, Jack does owl impressions and nearly falls out of the window. 17 floors up. Monday, 4th of November. Porto to Madrid. Day off. Up at 8.30 feeling iffy after last night's Brandy Alexander's. Check out and go to Porto Airport. On the flight to Madrid, Ian plays me last night's desk tape, which sounds great. They run a DAT as well, that's a digital audio tape, which I think we might as well release next time we need live footage. No one turns up to meet us at Madrid Airport, so we take two cabs to the hotel, which is very pleasant. The Spanish really seem to have their act together these days. Went for a short walk and had lunch with Steve R in the hotel restaurant, which is where I am right now. I think I'll go and have 40 winks. I'm knackered. Turns out that I sleep till 7 o'clock. Get up and go out at 7.30 to eat. D, Jack and myself go walk about and eventually end up in the area known as Plaza Santana, which is lively and full of bars. We eventually find a good seafood restaurant and I have lobster for the second time in my life. The first time was at Virginia Beach, USA, just after puncturing my face with a jet ski. We return to the hotel and later try to find the venue, but it's closed, so we go to another club. Ian's stoned and gives the cab driver 40 quid's worth of Mark's money for a £4 fare and tells him to keep the change. Spend the rest of the evening being ripped off everywhere and eventually get to bed around 5am. 
funny thing about that story actually was that uh, not only did Ian give give uh, the the taxi driver forty quid of Mark's money and tell him to keep the change. But um, the taxi driver kept complaining about the destination and we kept telling him to shut up and just drive. Uh, in the end, he just pulled across to the other side of the street and we all got out and the club was there. That's what he'd been trying to tell us. Tuesday, 5th of November, bonfire night, Madrid, day off. Up at 12.30 for lunch with the record label at 1.30. We all assemble in the lobby, and at two o'clock, Raphael, Kike and Maite turn up complaining about the traffic. They take us to a beautiful restaurant called Armstrong's, and we eat, drink and get merry until around five in the afternoon. We have the use of minibus and driver Manuel. He has the supernatural knack of appearing like a genie whenever he's required. He does so and takes us back to the hotel. I go walk in the streets for a couple of hours and return and call my girls. Good news. Dizzy's feeling much better and sounds like her old self, or should I say, new self. Fifi is fine and says she hasn't been crying for me. Bless her. She's proud of herself. I go back to bed till nine o'clock as the indefatigable Raphael is coming at 10.30 to show us the Madrid nightlife. He takes us to three bars which are all unique. The first has a carved wooden ceiling like figureheads from an old galleon and old tiled walls with 30s lithographs. The second is ornate Arabic with a great sound system. The third is Art Nouveau mental with little cubby holes underground joined together by meandering corridors. I chat with Miguel, Laura and the bar staff who are friendly and generous with the measures. We return to the hotel, care of Manuel, who appears out of thin air with the minibus, and I almost make it into the lift. But Mark's famished, so I accompany him and Ian back out into the street, and we take a cab to a cafe which serves us omelette, shish kebab and roast potatoes at ten past three in the morning. We return stuffed and ashamed, and I sleep till eleven. Wednesday, 6th of November, Madrid, Cancillaire. Yeah, 11 o'clock. Go downstairs to the coffee shop and write all this. We had made arrangements to meet Raphael at the hotel at one and go to the record label, but he doesn't turn up. So it's back to the hotel cafe for a club sandwich and then back to bed for another hour before sound check. The club is small and the onstage sound very loud and awful. There's a press conference, but I'm sure the journalists end up with nothing on their tape recorders except the screeching of the barriers being dragged into place round the mixing desk. Return to the hotel for more sleep. It's a late show, on at 10.30. Managed to cope with the sound during the show, despite Grubby being off the stage and out of view. Grubby is our monitor engineer. Great crowd. Some good moments. Waiting to happen was special. All in all, another victory. We seem to be giving them what they want. Uh, and we're back. Uh, and um, that was the section of diary that obviously went from Niall's birth, but then took us through the back end of that 
uh, or the, the start of the second part of the holidays in, in Eden tour. And as with a lot of things you write in the diary, apart from the fact that I'm now, and I've spoken in the past about um, Irish coffees that seem to keep appearing, um, and the fact that you talk about getting your roots done a lot, which reappears. And then the new thing for me that's coming through is the number of times you leave shit behind. Yes, it's a curse, man. Um, if you if if you were to bump into any of the people who've had the unenviable task of tour managing the band, um, that's all. That's probably the memory that they will take away. A number one will be just the amount of shit H loses every day, and the panics, the panics. I've, Frenchie, I've lost my phone. Frenchie, I've left my laptop in. Blah blah blah. Frenchie, I've lost my laptop power supply. I've left it in Stuttgart. What are we gonna do, Frenchie? I've left all my clothes in. Blah blah blah. What are we gonna do? And, and he just follows me around all day, handing me things back that I don't even know I've put down. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a consequence of nerves. To be honest, I think it's because I'm when in particular. I mean, I'm not great in daily life, as Lynetta will tell you, but but. Um, when I'm on tour, I've got the underlying keyed upness, um, and it wipes out my short-term memory completely. And and so I, everything, you know, every pair of sunglasses, gloves, phone, technology, bag, you know, anything that I might have to carry around, and you've always got to carry stuff around when you're on tour, is just gone daily, daily. Um, and uh, you know, even on the even on the second episode of the Odds and Sods cast, you know, I'm in I'm in Osaka. I get in a get in a taxi, go to the sound check, and halfway through sound check, it turns out I've left my iPhone on the back seat of the taxi. That's long since gone, you know. So then, drama, drama, drama. I, I don't know it's in the taxi. I think I've left it in the hotel. So then I've got to go back to the hotel to try and find my phone and of course it's not there so then panic 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 and and in the end we got it back because japanese people are just incredibly honest and someone had found it on the back seat handed handed it to the taxi driver and he eventually came back to the shirt came back to the gig knocked on the door and you know he's, he's standing there holding my phone out uh that probably wouldn't happen all over the world wouldn't have happened in Brazil. Might not have happened here, yeah. but but that's Japan. French is a legend, really. He is an absolute legend. No, he's fantastic. He's the best tour manager we've ever had. Um, in terms of just you know the level of care, you know, miserable sod though. Oh yeah, you know it's yeah, yeah. but 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 re- re- really great tour manager, a natural. Um, and he does. I mean. You need a lot of looking after when you're when you're on the road, you know, because you've got so much spinning around in your head all the time, and then nerves, nerves and nerves and information, so much of it, you know, and you're travelling, so you're slightly disorientated, um, and so you you just you regress, you turn into a, a kind of useless human being. Frenchie, well, what time are we checking in? You know, you 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 turn into a child, and you need to be told everything. 
In fact, we had a we had a tour manager called Quinner years ago, and uh, he always made a point if you if you got into a show or something at usually eight or nine in the morning of having come overnight, Quinner, where, where's the gents? Where's the toilets? And he'd go. You want to go straight to the end of that corridor, up the stairs, turn left. And he would lie and he would send you for bloody miles. So you never asked him again. Because he knew, he knew that if he told you once, <laughs> you'd rely on him all day, every day, forever. And so would everyone else. So he just used to send people off on wild goose chases. You know, you come back about 20 minutes later, all frazzled and worn out. Again. I couldn't find that toilet. No, I wasn't there. <laughs> you bastard! Um, but you never asked him again. He was smart. Um, <laughs> the other thing, I was and then another ask- tour, another tour manager story. We were in. I don't know if I told you this. We were in a. We were in a. This this why I come in Andy for extras. We were in this hotel in in uh, Switzerland once doing a festival, and I was in my room, and. Uh, it's, Tour, tour manager called Dean McLaughlin just swung into my room said oh he was Irish I can't, uh, I can't do the accent but he said uh, alright H I've got your PDs here can you just sign here and he'd got like a little pad you know like a receipt pad I sure do and I signed for them and he held this money out and I went to take it off him and he's looking at me smiling and he wasn't our tour manager he'd been our tour manager about 10 years earlier <laughs> And he was with another band, and he'd heard my voice, and he saw my room, my 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 door was open, and so he just come in, and I'd signed for him, and I was about to take this money. Oh, oh cheers, D, thanks a lot. And he's looking at me, say, "You cabbage, I haven't worked for you for for years." <laughs> uh, I bump into bump into him every now and again, you know. Different. I saw him at the U.S. Embassy uh, one year because he was que- in the same queue queuing up for visas, and uh, he reminds me of that story when, whenever I see him. So the, the last thing I was going to ask, because it's a throwaway line in the diary, is is you talk a little bit about a lobster, and then you throw in the last time I had lobster was when I punctured myself in the face with a water ski. <laughs> as an aside and I've got to ask no that was in we, we had a day off uh, years years and years ago in Virginia Beach in uh, USA uh, we played this gig in was it not, well we played this gig in Virginia Beach I think it was about 12 people in there it was a disaster and the day after we had uh, we we had a day off and we were pl- playing Washington D.C. the day after that, so we thought rather than drive to Washington, we'd hang around at Virginia Beach because it was sort of prettier. It was by the sea, and someone had the idea of hiring. Uh, we saw, I think we just saw a sign at the side of the road: jet skis for hire. So, oh, that could be cool, and it was really sunny and it was a nice day. So we hired this. We hired jet skis. These sort of wave rider, you know, like a motorbike that goes on the sea. But they were a bit low tech. Um, You know, they weren't the really luxurious, nice padded things that that you hire these days. They were a little bit more made out of Meccano. Um, And uh, I took this thing out on the water 
And the, the 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 handlebars were bolted on with these great big bloody bolts that were exposed. And the first wave I had, I just smacked myself in the face with it, and and a bust and a bust clean through my lower lip to the inside, bled everywhere. And uh, I had to do the next gig with with, with gaffer tape over the ho- <laughs> over the hole, because when I was singing, it kept wagging open. <laughs> And the elastoplast wasn't enough, so I got a plaster on it, and then I got some gaffer tape across me. <laughs> and it's scarred over, and I've got this little line now under, under my bottom lip, which I was delighted to observe Harrison Ford has got. So uh, that cheered me up no end. So I've got a Harrison Ford scar uh, from the wave from the wave rider at Virginia Beach. I can't think of a better place to leave it than that for chapter 10. Um, I'm heading down to the fridge uh, as fast as I possibly can. Uh, to celebrate. In celebration. Uh, oh, dear. Well, I guess I guess I'll talk to you next week. Okay, mate. All right. All righty then. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, thanks for all your comments, uh, all of them. Um <laughs> Uh, if you haven't voted for us, British Podcasting Awards, uh, links on the podcast, please vote for us. I think it's getting close to the cutoff, actually. Yes, do uh, do that. Uh, do that. That would be that would be great. And if you're if you have oh cons- fuck, I forgot the Fender Jag. I've got a white Fender Jaguar that I bought off a bloke in Cambridge. Cash. That's a good guitar as well. Anyway, carry on. No, it's no, it's okay. Uh, I quite like <laughs> a Jag actually. Um, <laughs> a little bit of guitar to finish. Um, yeah, if you and if you haven't uh, considered uh, uh, supporting the podcast and becoming purple, uh, then there's loads of extra content. In fact, the uh, the second odds and sodcast goes out. Um, in fact, it'll be out by the time you hear this. It will be out. So, loads of extra content coming for those who are uh, our supporters on Patreon. Um, and <laughs> it gets the pronunciation right. Don't want to go down that rabbit hole again. Um, right. Well, we'll uh, we'll say adieu, and we'll see you. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yes. We'll go, bye bye bye. Bye, Dave. Colopy. 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 Write to us. Let us know. Yeah. Pronunciation corners back next week. We'll yes. Watch. And Sars. Sars. What's her face? Yes. With the golden key. Yeah. You too. Yes. For for whom I widened my column. Toodaloo. Thank you, Terry Heffernan. I view is also Daniela Berardi, Drew Sutherland, and Julie Hanlon. How could we forget Rob Crossland and Yutan Nielsen? And thank you very much, John Plum. And thank you very much, John Plum. (laughs) And thank you very much, John Plum. That's it. And Michelle Shardlow. Michelle Shardlow and Joseph Dilworth Jr. and Joseph Dilworth 
Junior, having a lot of trouble with the courts And Jim Oxenford and Stephen Keiko Moody and Stephen Griffin Who might be declined, maybe I shouldn't mention him <laughs> And Colin Larkin and Jennifer Wellies Giorgio Severo and Janine Trey And Lisa Wetton how are you doing, Lisa? Sandrine Maggie, Richard Parkhurst, Darren Blood, and thank you, Ian Walford, Tar John Nicholas, and Alina Schutze. Or is it Schutze? Could be Schutze or Schutze. Should say, I reckon. And Kirsten Luke and John Hancock, Chris Hobbs. Thank you, Michelle Henry. Thank you, Glazella and Claire Dupuis. Got to scroll up a bit. That's probably enough, but I'll do a few more. Andy McRae, Sean Moyler, Paolo Piccone, or Piccone, or Piccone, or Piccone, Verena Telstrom, Leanne Gibbons, Mary Say. Collins And let's leave it with Craig Hetherington Thank you everybody For being purple Or for subscribing And never forgetting your roots Looking in the mirror I appear to have forgotten mine Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production. <laughs>